The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. When we jump into this book, it's it's very it's very in the array. Um, in the it, it drops us in in the middle of action. Okay, um, I heard Medea Ray. Is that what you said? Yes. And my, I, the only Medea no, I'm aware of I, is Tyler Perry, and so exactly I wasn't really like, sure what you were getting at. Oh my word, you <laughs> Philistines! <laughs> Welcome to the Legendarium. So this, informal. We. <laughs> This is a, this is, we have not done a late night recording for a long time. And I'm now remembering why we normally don't do late night recordings, but, but we're going to do this one. And, and hopefully when all of you listen to it, you're not listening to it late at night. Actually, maybe you should listen yeah. to it late at night. In order to match the IQ of what's going to, what we're going to be <laughs> using here, you might want to either have a few drinks or be very, very late in your evening. <laughs> Certainly not first thing in the morning. Huff as you can, t- things, yeah. as you can tell by the sound, this is a, this is a purple team. Uh, predominantly blue, but with a dash of red, we have Ryan with us today. Welcome back, Ryan. Thank you. Glad to have you joining this all-male uh, blue team podcast. I like we, to think of us as a joined they we do. podcast. Oh, I am not going to be a joined they. <laughs> um, we are missing Megan on this one, but we're glad to have Ryan with us. So hopefully this is going to be a, a lot of fun for all of us. We are reviewing the new Brandon Sanderson science fiction book, Starsight, the, the sequel to Skyward. Um, before we, before we dive too far into it, I just want to know, um, thumbs up or down? Did you enjoy it? Oh yeah. Thumbs up. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll start everything with that and just, and, and we'll probably come back to that because uh, knowing the way that we do work on things, we'll probably come up with some niggling things along the way. But, but, uh, I, I, I agree. I enjoyed the book. It was, uh, it was fun. It was quick. Uh, it was not the way of Kings. Um, and so <laughs> I was, I was very grateful for that. Um, on a couple of levels, but this is clearly uh, a bathroom write that he did. The, you know? <laughs> this this was a writing exercise. This was an expanded writing he exercise. He wrote this on a plane from Salt Lake to Chattanooga. He he probably could have. He probably could <laughs> have. Um, we will, of course, get into everything. But before we do, a couple of housekeeping issues. Um, if you are new to the podcast, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, on Discord, uh, through Reddit. Uh, the legendarium podcast.com. We, you can find us for on very via email, uh, Ryan or Ken, Ken, do you have, you have a functioning email for the legendarium, right? As far as I know. All right. And I do too. I don't think anybody ever uses them. I think they just reach out to us on, on Reddit and Twitter and, and discord. So. I'm very well liked by the princes of Nigeria. I get a lot of those emails, <laughs> so I just want you to know that people appreciate me. Okay, well, it's not the Swedish that prison case, system, but hey, yeah, well, the you know we probably get. Uh, I think Craig gets those emails. So, with that said, please join the please join the conversation. Hopefully, you enjoy what we do here, and you can join the conversation with us afterwards. And uh, recognize that that we try to work with you and engage with you out there as well. Yeah. Ken, do you have? A recap for us on this book. Boy, have I got a recap for you. I can't wait. Uh, How long did it take you to write this one? Uh, I think I finished it two minutes ago. It took me like five minutes. Okay, okay. We're good. We're good. <laughs> so clearly it's his best work. Clearly it's my magnum opus. Or, or at least what we're used to. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to try to make it better than that Dresden one. Oh my gosh. All right. Six months after fending off a massive, all-of-life-threatening Krell attack only to discover that their home world of detritus is actually a large penal colony and the evil alien menace is really just a bunch of squiddy warden bots, the ragtag fleet of the Defiant Defense Force, headlined by precocious and sassy Spencer, is breaking free, y'all. Yeah. They're starting to branch out, claiming battery platforms designed to keep them stuck on the planet and making plans to blow this barren popsicle stand but an unexpected visit from a cytonic alien rapidly speeds up their timeline and inspires Spin and Jorgen to hatch a brilliantly well-thought-out plan, at least for Spencer, to throw on some holograms, jump her hyper-advanced AI spaceship to the nearest superiority space station and steal a hyperdrive from aliens that distrust AI only slightly less than they do humans. No biggie. <laughs> Good plan. <laughs> See, the humans are so aggressive and the superiority is still a little offended by that whole trying to intentionally summon Delvers to dominate the galaxy thing 
Far better to lock the savages away and go about their zen life up on their asteroid, complete with plenty of useless jobs like graphic designers and journalists. <laughs> I don't. Know. I resemble that remark. Oh, me, me Podcasters too. were probably included yeah, in that, exactly. but they didn't know how to describe them. You can tell they're enlightened and intelligent by the way they gun down the weaker kids with live fire during a training assessment and hold hyperdrive technology over the heads of non-superior races like some mook telling the corner dry cleaner, nice place you got here, be ashamed if those transport starships stopped coming by. <sighs> in the course of trying to steal a hyperdrive, Spencer learns that not all is well in superiority land and some primary races aren't down with the status quo. The human's main jailer is trying to use their own short-sighted plan to do exactly what they're accused of. And, oh, Spencer learns that humans had a secret hyperdrive all along in the form of that annoyingly cute spiky banana slug. Lots of them, it turns out, in the basement. Jorgen finds them. In the end, Spencer gives the superiority a little turnabout, six the Delvers on star sight, before remembering that, oh, I'm better than you, and somehow talks the Delvers down, runs from a royally pissed-off Wixen on the way to, by way of jumping her and Doomslug and M-Drone. He's got a new name now. M-Drone. M-Drone. Into the Upside Down with the Demigorgons or something, leaving the humans and their new friends to figure out how to properly employ their slug drives. So, now that the Defiance uh, used their Doom Slugs to make contact with other nature preserves, or what, are, what do they do? How, do? how do they employ the Doom Slugs? I believe the term that you used was large penal colony. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> it's, it's, this is why we don't do them late I'm, at night. I wasn't. I wasn't going to uh, bring up my large. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. okay. So, does... thank you. So, does Spencer arrive on the scene to even the odds with a whole herd of domestic Delvers in tow, or do the Delvers teach Spencer how to use her cytonic powers to do all those cool things that the superiority was concerned that she could do all along? And uh, a race of smells. Seriously, how freaking brilliant is Brandon Sanderson? I just. All right. Nerf Herder and Crimspackle. Let's do this. <laughs> he remembered her names. Nice. I'm very impressed. I'm very, very nice. impressed. Um, I can see why we consider that your best work. Um, <laughs> I, I certainly consider that one of your recaps. There you go. There you go. Uh, I miss those sometimes. Though. I do so, miss those. <laughs> so uh, obviously, and, and Ken, that's the recap that you give to a book that you would like. I, I enjoyed this book. Boy, I'm glad that you didn't dislike the book. This... I wonder what the I wonder what the recap would be like on a book that Ken didn't like. I Maybe had, we'll find out. I one had day. fun with this book. The, the, the thing is, Brandon Sanderson is so prolific that you just kind of expect every book to be Mistborn or The Way of Kings or one of these epics. It's fun that he just, you know, he throws out a, a, just an enjoyable novel. It's it's regular length. It's for the most part, regular plot. I mean, you don't really see a whole lot of twists and turns coming in this one, but it's just, it's still just fun. It's clearly, uh, at least as I read it, it, it feels very clearly young adult science fantasy. Um, yeah. It's, it's not, it, it, it's not intended to be anything beyond what it is. Um, and, and I, I, I'm not saying that he doesn't address issues. I'm not saying that he doesn't, uh, uh, that he doesn't deal with some pretty weighty stuff. But I, but I think that, that the difference between some of the other books that we've read from Brandon and this book, in fact, this entire series, is that it's very clearly young adult driven, um, young adult directed. And so as a result, it's a little more, uh, a, a little more dessert and a little less meat. Is that a fair statement? Would you agree with that or would you disagree? Um, I can agree with the sentiment for the most part. I I have been, especially the last little while, trying to kind of piece my mind around the idea of what exactly qualifies something as being young adult, because I feel like all of a sudden we read something, we go, well, that didn't, kind of to your point, that didn't really move me the way that, you know, Oathbringer did or whatever. So that's clearly young adult, because that means that my, I, you know, it kind of reads on me as like, that's, I'm, I'm clearly capable of reading more epic fantasy than this, you know, whatever. But I, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure yet if I classify this as young adult, I think it would easily sit on that shelf. Mm -hmm. And I would, if, you, if it was there, I wouldn't go, ah, that's wrong. But I also yeah. wouldn't be upset if it wasn't there and in just a kind of a normal fantasy next to other pieces. I think of this one, I put this in the same vein with his work as the Reckoner series. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. If yeah. maybe a, maybe a slight step above, maybe. Um, 
I haven't really been able to pin that, and I haven't gone back to Reckoners since we finished it. Yeah, it's been a while. But I think there there are fewer major uh, topics discussed in this uh, because there are fewer viewpoints to follow and and deal with. We really have we have a couple characters who have issues that we deal with on the uh, around us uh, with a lot of our secondary characters, but with in terms of Spensa and Jorgen are kind of our two point of view characters that we get in this book. There's only so many things that they're going to learn and develop in this book specifically. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, like I said, I wouldn't have a problem if you wanted to classify it as young adult, but I might just be like, well, don't, if you, if you're someone who sits there and goes, I don't read young adult fantasy. Well, then don't classify this one as young adult fantasy because you might want to read this series. I'd buy that. You don't have to be a young adult to enjoy this series. My my classification for young adult is very simple. Um, it has a teenage protagonist, a young adult protagonist, and I would encourage my young adult daughter to read it. Therefore, it's young adult. But that that is simplistic and works for me. It's not in the like, literary world. There's a lot of it. epic fantasy, like where are your leads are teenage. Oh yeah, it's very common. It's a common trope to use that. So like, absolutely, I understand what you're getting at. I be a little hesitant to use that but that's, i get that's why going. i say in the literary yeah. world it doesn't exactly hold water but for me you know for yeah i i immediately i handed it to my daughter and said this one's skyward this one's starsight read them both yeah go yeah. Mazel tov. Yeah. um and and while and while i don't think it's a waste of time to read young adult for me it's the pacing that determines whether or not i would put it as a as a young adult fantasy young adult science fantasy or uh, just call it just general epic fantasy, epic science fantasy. Um, and, and for me, the pacing on this is faster, it's cleaner. Um, and there are, and for me, the other thing that, that defines, uh, and maybe inappropriately so, but for me, it, it's, it seems to be consistent with young adult fantasy uh, or with young adult novels, is that the side plots are narrower. Like you said, yeah. we've only got two real, real pieces that we're following. Mm-hmm. Um, now it doesn't mean that they don't introduce lots of other, it, Brandon's done a wonderful job of introducing some real interesting level two stuff in this book. Um, and over the last little while, some of the stuff that we've been reviewing is in the blue team, we've had a lot of level one and level three, but we haven't had a lot of level two things that we've been dealing with. Right. This right. book does a wonderful job of bringing us some really good level two stuff. Um, and, and, and I don't think that it, that makes it more or less one camp or the other it's it for me it's more about how many how many story how many threads of the storyline are we following and I, you know when i when i look at the ones that we follow 17 or 18 all at the same time and they all meet up in a spot and then they all diverge again and then they all meet up and they diverge um this one doesn't do that it's a little bit cleaner it's faster pacing is pacing is quick yeah um mm-hmm. i th- i think i got through this one in about a week which is uh for me and my schedule that's pretty astounding um, so, you know, yeah, a, a fun read. And we, I think we all, we all agree. It's, it's a good book. It's a thumbs up, um, and a recommendation, especially for anyone who likes science fiction, mm-hmm. um, or for anybody who likes Brandon Sanderson. Yeah. I'd say pick it up and, and check it out. It's a good read. And anybody who likes, uh, action specifically, uh, aviation action. Oh yeah. Man, I, Brandon does such, I and mean, we're on first name basis now, me and Brandon. No, B Sands B-Sand. does a <laughs> fantastic job with research. Doesn't matter what it is, but his his research is is brilliant. His descriptions of dogfighting and the way he scientifically and logistically points out the differences between atmospheric flight and space flight and works in the actual physics for both is fantastic. If we hadn't been doing this podcast for as long as we have, honestly, the whole concept of um, atmospheric flight and space flight probably would have just zipped right over my head. Like, like if I had, don't really consider it. I watch, you know, I watch these spaceships bank in Star Wars, and I'm like, oh, yeah. God, that's cool. I love it. It's great. You know, yeah, don't even think about the. And there I am sitting on the side saying Newtonian physics, Newtonian physics. Right. <laughs> yeah, when 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 I read the when I read the first space battle and she says I pivoted on my axis and was able to look from behind, but you can't do that for very long. I'm like, yes, yeah, I'm so happy. Well, uh, as a guy who grew up in an aviation family and in the shadow of Hill Air Force Base, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, you know, um, fighter fighter jets are. You know, second nature to my family, and I just there is one other book. That. There is one other book series 
that spent almost as much time and as much dedication to the dogfighting descriptions as Brandon does in this book. And that is the Robotech series. Oh, yeah. Uh, you remember those? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily recommending that anybody pick those up, but I, but they're cotton candy for the mind. Those are, they're, they're, they're basically just a long, a, a long dog fight interspersed with people going and playing video games. Um, but, uh, it's but, like the junior version of, St of Starsight, but, but clearly, clearly Brandon has done some really good research, uh, into, into both, into both what it takes to fly and what it takes to be in a, uh, high G, low G, rapid acceleration, deceleration kind of environment. So some really cool stuff. That's something that um, I kind of want to touch on because this is the second book, okay? Yes. In our first book, they are trapped, and so we only deal with atmospheric. Correct. Flight, right? right. Now we get to step into this new world. So I think it's interesting that his his plan and build out here is to say, okay, now we get into space and we get to change how, see how things are different. And this ace pilot that we've had over here that does everything so well with this really great robot ship now has to learn a whole new space fight. It's like, okay, that's a, it's a, it's a way to hit a reset button without having to just totally knock your character back a ton. Yeah. Like, yeah. Do that. How do you guys feel about this book as connected to the first book? Did it like, did you feel a flowed connection between the two books or did it, was there any variation or something that felt different about one or the other? So when, when, when we jump into this book, it's, it's very, it's very in Medea Ray. Um, in the, it, it drops us in, in the middle of action. Okay. Um, I heard Medea Ray. Is that what you said? Yes. And my, I, the only Medea no, I'm aware of I, is Tyler Perry. And so exactly I wasn't really like, sure what you were getting at. Oh my word. You <laughs> Philistines. Just a quick editor's note, we're going to skip ahead a few moments past where we made fun of Ryan for his lack of Latin skills. Action. When when you okay. said it like that, yeah. yes, but when he said Medea Ray. What I heard Ray, was Medea Ray, and I'm like. That's what I, yes. In, in Medea, Medea Ray. If you put it out in front of me, I would be like, oh yes, that's Latin, and it clearly means in the middle of mostly the wrist be, or something. Mostly so. because it would be in italics when you saw it laid out in front of you, I'm <laughs> yes. sure. Can't you read my, can't you see the speech bubble I'm over sorry, the top of my head? I don't, I don't. So the, it, this, because this book starts out in the middle of that, the, the question of connectedness was one that I didn't feel like was, was missed or, or needed anything extra. I will say this for me, the idea that it only took them six months to get those platforms working and to start figuring out some of those pieces that to me felt contrived. Um, it, I, I think I would have, I would have bought this. I, I would have bought the entire premise, even if they had said it has now been a couple of years since we've gotten to that and the characters had grown and matured and there was there was more maturity going on but i also recognize that that causes some questions about the characters that maybe we would have to answer differently in the rest of the book uh questions about relationships questions about how long they've been working together what other kinds of things have changed so being able to keep everybody at a point where you say the the relationships haven't necessarily gone too much beyond what we knew them to be before and yet we're saying that there's been enough of a change that we can give them a new place to work with and new challenges to work with. Yeah, okay, I buy it. Um, and I'm okay with it. It's one of those pieces where where I where I look at it and I would have said, I'd have bought it differently, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll still buy it. That's interesting because I looked at the timeline and I thought it, it works for me. Six months, they only have... Like two... A, well, a dozen three. maybe platforms out of the thousands... That that makes sense. I mean, it, especially it's, since it's the ones that they're closest to, and, and they're not fully functional. And they're, they're not running. fully functional. Yeah, he he makes a point to to point out we're on these, but we don't understand what's going on yet, and we're still cracking. They're you know, Endor Death Star, functional but not complete. <laughs> right. Wow, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, that's that was nicely done. Pretty much. Um, they're, they're still cracking in a system six months later. I, I bought the timeline. I thought that was just fine. In terms of this as a sequel, it felt like a natural progression because in a lot of sequels, you establish well, in the first one, you establish the baseline. Okay, she's a good pilot. This is what we're doing. This is these are the stakes. This is the enemy. And our our uh, protagonists have have successfully defeated level one. Now we move to level two. We take them out of atmosphere and we put them into space. We take them 
to the enemy's homeworld where now there are more enemies or the enemies are tougher or yeah, she was the best star pilot on her planet, but now she's not on her planet and everybody is this good. You know, that yeah. sort of thing. It, it felt like the natural progression. Now we, uh, I expect to see in, in number three that they've adapted to, okay, now lots of people have on both sides can fly and there are new stakes, you know, it's funny That's you bring that up because one of my favorite things that they, one of the favorite pieces that they talk about here is the issue of Spencer having to train the enemy. Yes. Like, I to me, that was a big stake that I don't think we spent... We didn't, we didn't spend a ton of time uh, marinating in it. There wasn't a lot of conflict, inner turmoil on that. She and just I, knew, like, this. I'm just training these people. And then there's a few times where we deal with it. That could have been addressed more. Did it have to be? Me, I don't know. But it actually was one of the pieces that I, I would have... I appreciated most and appreciated that Spencer realized at least to a certain extent that she is potentially putting into the enemy's hands what would destroy her people. I also yes. appreciated the fact that that not only does she recognize it, but when she gets back to Detritus and tells Cobb, I've kind of trained them mm-hmm. that that Cobb gives that that she she the the interaction demonstrates that he understands that it was unavoidable and also that it was probably the worst news that he could get mm-hmm. that that she has that the best of the the best that they had has now trained everyone that's coming at them to be as good as she is or at least as good as they could possibly be to get there but but on the bright side she has also trained her new allies so yeah and and I but and I guess I, I guess if you were to if you were to turn around and 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 all of it makes sense. Um, the one thing that I really liked about it is that is that Brandon goes through the process. Brandon does a, 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 a wonderful job for me of giving us the inner dialogue that our characters deal with in many cases, in Spencer particularly. He lets us hear her well, she as, she, as she works through this process of saying, how do I do this? How do I handle this? How do I make these things work? Um, how do I make it, how do I make sure that no one disbelieves me as this ace pilot from a different race, the best of the best of another race anyway, how do I, how do I make sure that people believe me, but also recognizing that she has to do it in a way that helps her because she can't predict whether or not another live fire exercise is going to occur and she's going to die in the process. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a great opportunity to look into it and say, okay, this is a bad situation. How do I make the best of it? We get the chance to listen to it. Um, There are other authors that we've read that don't do that. They just, they just say weighing all the options, the choice was made and we go forward and we'd never get a chance to come back and revisit it. Brandon revisits it a couple of times. The, the the concerns that she has, that she is going through all of this, that she will have to fight these people that she's training, that she's going to have to recognize that her friends are going to fight. Some really interesting stuff. And for me, this is one of the big level two issues that Brandon brings up in this book. And that is the nature of discovering that the enemy is for want of a better term, the, the enemy is human as human as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of the, one of the phrases, I actually brought my book. Um, and cause on this one, I have the book and the, and the, uh, other audio personally signed by B Sands. Uh, yeah, this one was, wasn't it? Um, it was, um, the, it was the moment where she's, where she's talking to talk to Cobb. Uh, and she said, uh, Cobb, Cobb, I said, stepping forward, those aren't bloodthirsty monsters out there. They're just people, normal people with lives and loves and families. And what do you think we've been fighting against all these years? Cobb asked. I don't know. <laughs> Red eyed, fear, faceless creatures, relentless destroyers, not far from how they saw humans. That's what war is. Cobb told me a bunch of sorry, desperate fools on both sides, just trying to stay alive. That's the part that those stories of you love leave out, isn't it? It's always more convenient when you can fight a dragon, something you don't have to worry you'll start caring about. That was really, for me, he, 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 he touched on it all the way through with Spencer starting to say, you know, when she starts out and she says, Mrs. Nesbitt or whatever, I, I know it's not Mrs. Nesbitt. I can't remember. <laughs> I just, 
Sorry, I'm remembering Buzz Lightyear. I'm Mrs. Nesbitt now. Yeah, that's exactly where, that's I, where went. I went. Yep. <laughs> um, the the Krell housekeeper, and she's like, I'm sure she's a spy. I'm sure she's a spy. Right. And she gets to the end, and she's like, she was probably not just a not a spy at all. Um, she she in 14 days gets past all of that and gets to a point where she recognizes, and largely because she's spending the time training them, working with them experiencing things with them, seeing life through their eyes and getting a chance to see the children, um, the water park, all of those kinds of pieces, recognizing that she is going to deal with the fundamental truth that every soldier has to deal with. This is some other sorry son of a gun who's just stuck trying to do the same thing and we got it. We both got to deal with it. I, I really liked that section because it didn't, it's a pretty common concept that we deal with multiple times when you have someone go to the other side for a while to that realization. Um, but usually when they come back, we get, but sir, they're, they're just people. And it's like, doesn't matter. Kill them all. <laughs> and this one, it's like, no, the, the leadership understood like, yeah, we know we are well aware of this, but we still have to do this. This is still part of it, it turns, it's one of those things that it's like, oh, it's a great way to turn your good guys into bad guys and your bad guys into neutrals and then everybody's a neutral and where's the moral code anymore? Like, yeah, yeah. But in this case, it wasn't really, he didn't use that same tactic. It was, yeah, we're aware of that and it sucks. It sucks, but it's part of the way that war works and we have to deal with it. Um, and that, to me also, you watch that, like I said, there's not a whole lot of surprise in this book in nope. terms of, She's like, oh, she's training her new flight crew. Her flight crew is most likely going to join her when she has to reveal herself and turn around and right. battle this other group or whatever. Uh, and it's believable. The, the, the path is believable. I'm fine with it. I did appreciate, though, that our other villain, they put in the semi quotes, is the other human there uh, who hates her own people so much because she's afraid of what she is. Well, she's been conditioned since she was little to... To hate, you know, herself. Well, that's you know. the thing. Like, you have this entire universe She's been of people. completely stockholmed. So. Yeah, you've got yeah. this entire universe of people who believe this, who've been trained the same way. But as, and admittedly, they don't know that she's human at first, when she's first training them and everything. But they have the time, they take the time to figure out afterwards, once she reveals what she is to them, and they go, oh, that person that I connected with that was a human, and they're not everything I thought they were. I'm at least willing to listen, you know, right. um, when she offers the first shot to the Hesho, the Hesho, yeah, the guinea pigs of doom. Um, I don't remember exactly what she called them, but there's the guinea pig fox people, the guinea pig, pig fox foxes, people, yeah. whatever it is, space foxes. And he kind of takes his moment and turns back. I, I, I appreciated that. But then you look at the human who realizes the same thing and goes, "Oh, you're a lying, deceitful. You're everything that I believed a human was, and I have to destroy all of this with the power that I that we share here." Yeah. Uh, I, it was. It's kind of like, okay, there's there's Spencer on the other side. I guess her, her mm -hmm. foil there. And I, I liked it. I really thought it was a good uh, a good connection there. I don't really know how I feel about the big bads, the... The Delvers? The Delvers. It's an interesting concept, but yeah. there's not enough information in this book for me to be able to formulate and say, I really like the Delvers as a villain or as a normal or a whatever, because it's like they're... They, they've been set up, well... I up until the last few chapters, they had been set up as this is just some all-consuming leviathan that has they're one, malicious that, that's malicious and has one urge and that's to you know destroy everything in its in its path and and that's it you know and and your very existence is hurtful to them and they will wipe you out and and then she makes some connection with them because she's cytonic. And now all of a sudden it's, oh, maybe they are animal-like, but they aren't malicious. Maybe there's something more to them and we'll see that next time. I don't know, but the, but yeah, so all of a sudden that's kind of thrown up in flux as well. And you don't, you don't really know what to think. I think the Delver resolution in this book that we get, I, I don't think that they're gone entirely. No. Um, but no. the Delver resolution that we, that we get here, I think a lot of... Fantasy fans, especially epic fantasy fans, might feel underwhelmed by it because it's, oh, look, they're people too. Like, we've, this is a recurring theme in this book. They're people too. So mm -hmm. the, these giant creatures go, they're really annoying. They're like gnats, ants, and they're just irritating me. And I'm going to just swat them. And we don't even think about it. And then we show, oh, they have families. 
And I'm like, okay, like I'm fine with this. It's good. But I also think you give me a magnifying glass and I look into an anthill of ants who are biting me. I don't really care if they're family. Hmm, like, right. I'm still probably going to squish them. Yeah. Okay, I, not and really. I'm not I, developed too much of a soft side. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 interesting the interesting comparison that that Spencer has all the time was the buzzing and the biting, and for me I related immediately to mosquitoes, um, and because and I have I have lived my entire life um, when when I was when I was growing up in Minnesota mosquitoes are mosquitoes are not these tiny little things they are they are they are vicious they're animals they're, yeah, they're um, they will carry they, it's. Small, small groups of them can carry off young children. Um, they're, they're, they are awful. Um, and, and, and while coming to Utah, my experience with, with mosquitoes is very different. I still do not miss any opportunity to swat them whenever they get near me because they're annoying. They get in the way, they make my life miserable and I don't care whether they only live for 24 hours long enough to breed or not. That's, it, it's an, it's enough for me and maybe that makes me a horrible human being uh in in some corners of this planet but that's just kind of how it is plus they carry ebola so and west nile virus and some other kinds of things so you know what kind of sexually transmitted diseases are we giving to the delvers um <laughs> but but when when we have the when we have this setup um that what all kind of those of book kinds do you think this is <laughs> that all of these kinds of things are going on and the delvers see us that way the the resolution on that piece feels trite. It doesn't feel clean yet. But here, but and and that's but I say but I say yet because I don't think it's a resolution. I think it's a postponement. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think what we're going to find out as we dig into this further is that well I'll hold off on my prediction. Um, I'll, I'll I'll hold off on that prediction because because. I think it's I think it's going to be pivotal, but I think we we have some other things to talk about as well. All, all I can think now is I'm sitting here thinking, Mom, Pa, Delver are going to be beside themselves when <laughs> little Jamie Delver comes home with a <laughs> Mom, Dad, I found I... me a human. They're not so bad after all. Oh man, yeah, it's going to be one of those. Um, I for the most of the first two books, though, every time they would mention the eyes and everything, and they would look at her, and so they were freaking. They, he did a good job of making them really kind of scary, at least to me. What do you, what do you think about, um, I, I, I want to shift and go back to talking about Jorgen and Grand Grand in the interludes. Um, one of the things we've talked about in, in a lot of, uh, a lot of Brandon Sanderson's work, especially, uh, in the way of Kings is those interludes that we get an opportunity to see some side characters and see some of the things that they're going through. What did you think about the execution of that in this book? Did it work? Did it, did, was I it, thought it was, I thought it was necessary. I mean, clearly because we, we needed to see what was happening with Jorgen while this was going on. And clearly he is a big piece that we haven't talked about yet. And that's that more humans than just mm -hmm. the engineers are, are cytonic, the cytosis. I don't know how, what, what would you call it? But midichlorians. Sure, midichlorians are much more pervasive than we've been led to believe among the humans. So maybe there's been the chance to get off this planet a lot sooner than they've been able to. I want to know, based on these interludes, if there are variations of cytonicism. That's what I'm going to go with. Let's go with cytosis. Cytosis. Uh, simply because Jorgen's abilities didn't seem to be one that led him for flight purposes. It was, I can sense the slugs. Do you remember when they were talking about um, Spencer being able to sense communication in, in the ship, cytonic communication in uh -huh. the ship? Mm -hmm. I think you've got cytonic individuals that can do cytonic communication, individuals that can do cytonic transportation, um, manipulation of space and time, uh, as well as manipulation of information. It's and so I think that's what I, I think that's what we're going to see is that depending on how much of a cytonic gift you had, you were either on the bridge with the command staff giving orders and giving instruction because you could relay them cytonically or you were down in the engines actually moving stuff. It's interesting that you both brought that up because I went back and looked at my Skyward notes uh, while I was putting this together. And one of the questions I asked to, to you guys and Megan was, 
if the Dell, this is the power that the engineers had, what other cytonic powers did the other divisions have? Yeah. Um, because clearly they had to have something, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be, maybe it's those those other powers that the superiority is worried that Spencer could do, like the, the cytonic lance or whatever, you know, um, other scary offensive powers that are going to kill us all. And they could, things. it could be not quite as complex as that. It could be a simple, like this, this is the general ability of yeah. when you have this connection and there are those who are just stronger in one thing or the other type thing, but you can do all of the things, um, which honestly, if you want me to put money down on a table right now and say that, you know, that how I think that works out, that's the way I think it is. And she's just stronger in one aspect than the other versus having defined classes of Cytonosokics or whatever. Ahsoka Tano? What? Yeah, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> Don't even get me going on this because we can talk about, you know, the whole Jorgen, because you brought this up because of the Jorgen interludes, basically. Yes. And to me, I liked them. I, the Jorgen sequences felt to me like we need, we can't forget what's going on back on home planet. So we need a little plot line that we can tell in three or four short moments and we need a character that we need to advance. And none of the yep. other side guys really need to advance. So we're going to, and I'm opening a Pandora's box here, we're going to fin this one and make Jorgen force sensitive. <laughs> As opposed to Poe Dameron, this one. Yeah. But that's, the thing <laughs> is like... Poe is force sensitive. I know. <laughs> he Jorgen's sequences, I was interested in there. I, I really liked him when he was with uh, Graham, was it Graham Graham? Graham Graham. Graham Graham. And he, she's kind of walking him through the early training on it. You know, here's the stories. I want you to make bread and, you know, do these things. The wax on, wax off. It's 100% of Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> oh, absolutely. With an old woman moment here. He's like, okay. Baking bread instead of waxing cars. <laughs> I can, I can get behind this, but I 100, but I 100% believe that the only reason that I'm here right now is so that I don't forget about detritus. Yes. Right. Yes. And and the fact that what is going on needs to lead to um, an, an eventual end game for detritus mm-hmm. that is the same end game. Sure. Um, and that Cobb knows more than he's letting on. Um, if if there's one thing that I if there's one thing that I think we are going to find out more of, it is that Cobb's relation, Cobb's connection to the family, uh, to Spence's family, is a little bit different and a little bit more. Um, understanding then perhaps we 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 get glimpses of the fact that Cobb has kind of kept tabs on the family i think mm-hmm. there's more going on there than not not inappropriate or anything like that not you're not calling him out as the actual father no you're no not marrying i'm this not story. i'm not i but but i am but i am going to suggest that that um that probably the idea that he's been keeping tabs on spensa and everybody else and and watching what's been going on also means that he's aware that grand grand has some very different abilities and powers that have manifested themselves before. And he's aware that that's where they came from. That's how they've been passed down. Um, I think there's, I think we're going to find out that there's that Cobb's very much more aware of what's going on than perhaps we've been led to believe up to this point in time. I, I feel like that's almost understood. Yeah. To me. I mean, I, I feel like that just kind of part and parcel with the rest of the stories. We understand that Cobb has, has been invested in, in the family as, as he's, progress well and invested invested from a standpoint that he knows before i thought it was invested in the family because he felt bad for him right and because his best friend and wingman yeah and because his best friend and wingman died in a in a way that left the family without any support sure now i'm thinking that it's much it's much more than that he's aware that his best friend was connected to something that could get them out um and that he needed to make sure that he positioned Spencer to be able to carry that forward because there was going to be something bigger. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but, but it feels that way based on the way that we've, it, especially because we got a couple of glimpses of things about Cobb um, at the moment that she said uh, when she comes back and she said, and there sat Cobb in his throne overlooking all of it. And he was really good at it a lot better than you thought he might be. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. You know, he, when when we first meet Cobb, he's the he's the drill instructor. He's the he's the Lewis Gossett Jr. in in Officer and a Gentleman. You know, yelling at 
yelling at mayo and I was gonna all say that kind of Iron stuff. Eagle, but yeah, I you, <laughs> it, it, interchangeable character, right? Right. right. Kind of like Tom Cruise in every one of Tom Cruise's movies. Um, interchangeable character. Um, but but he shows up as this as this gruff individual barking at everybody, getting them ready. But what we're seeing is that he was going through his own journey and being prepared, being positioned to be able to lead those forces. So some some really fun things that are going on with this. Yeah. Let me shift uh, shift gears and ask one more question about a about another level two thread that I saw going through this, uh, and and wonder about how you guys feel about it as well. And that is the the level two thread of the political intrigue that is going on inside the superiority with the jockeying for power and the misinformation and the exploding of stories and all this. Did did you did you feel like you were kind of listening to? To newscasts from the from the current moment in time, I mean, did 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 either of you feel that like I did? I can absolutely say that I I felt like this book was affected by the time in which it was written. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, I th- I think so too. Keep going. Though. No. I mean, there's not. I don't have a ton more to say on that. Oh. It's it's it again. This is not a, an original plot line of vying factions or whatever sure but it's a well-executed one uh, it's pretty straightforward you've got the the army side and then you've got the uh, diplomacy side and each wants to try and figure something else out in a world where what they have to deal with is already deemed a bad thing like so there are no easy answers to it so i had the the happy ever after guy in me got towards the end of this book and wanted the world to see Spencer doing something good and for there to now be a factional shift. And there's now this kind of rebellion in the middle of all of Starsight and the rest of this vast group to say, okay, people have now seen that a human did something good and they are not as bad as they are portrayed to be. And so now we've got a civil war rift that can be worked through. Instead, what we get is the exact opposite of that, were shown to be everything that they think they are reinforcing that. And so that only the few who knew Spencer, the only the few who were there actually got a chance to know what really happened. Um, so the happily ever after me guy was like, that sucks. That's not <laughs> great. But the rest of me was like, you know what? I, that gives us, I think it's a different path for book three. Uh, but it makes the stakes higher for this for this smaller band of people to have to deal with. Yeah. Well, it's it still. I mean, it still sets the it sets the uh, wheels in motion for civil war. I mean, Kuna and and the rest of her, you know, sympathetic Dion faction are not minor players in superiority politics. That's a that's a major faction in in the superiority. And now you see. Uh, Wixen, right? Winzick. With, with, say it again. Winzick. Winzick. Thank you. I said it wrong in the in the uh, uh, recap too. We won't hold it against it, you. It's fine. Anyway, uh, but the the point is the Varvax guy. We'll just call it that. We'll go with that. Um, we get to see now he takes a more aggressive uh, posture in hostily taking over the superiority, which is something that has long been oh so aggressive. You're not supposed to be aggressive. You know, we don't want any aggression here, that sort of thing, which is a uh, another thread that goes throughout this entire book, which I think intention. Well, I I don't want to say it's intentionally uh, a statement by Brandon Sanderson, but it's it it felt very much like a statement. That is this human, not human, but societal complacency when things get too comfortable versus human survival yeah. um, thing, you know, the, uh, and the dangers of complacency. And I don't know that he, Brandon Sanderson doesn't do a whole lot of overt preaching in his stories, but he does a very good job of showing both facets of the argument. Yeah. The, um, the superiority is very complacent. They're very comfortable. They have to bring these outside aggressive uh, pilots in because our superiority pilots are calm and they are not aggressive because that aggression is bad, but you bad people, we need you. So come be aggressive for yeah. us. Yeah. That sort of thing. And it, it just shows this underlying weakness in the superiority. And we see a strength in, in the, 
in, in defiance or in the defiant it's uh, defense it's a, force. Because, it's a balancing act. Yeah. Because Spencer has to learn and some of you have to learn to pull back a bit in the aggression. Whereas this this society has realized that they aren't succeeding despite being, as they put it, this higher intelligence. They aren't succeeding as much as they believe that they should based on this con this idea. Um do you want to know, uh, as I'm reading through the their group, and I know the visuals don't work exactly the same because they're of multiple alien races or whatever, but whenever they would talk about the superiorities, uh, like fleet and everything out there, I visualized the um, the Guardians of the Galaxy, gold people, drone people. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like, this, that is how I visualize the superiority functioning. It's this, this thing like, okay, it's almost a game. It's Yes. Right. We can't get too aggressive. We can't. It's it's part of. That's why there's only we only ever send out a hundred because if we do more, it's too much. And so I kind of had that visual there, but I I remember reading that and multiple times. And I I don't know if it was to the I got to the point where I got annoyed with the concept or if it was just something that it became such a major player in there that I was just kind of like okay I I understand that we need to find a balance. That's yeah. Like I I'm interested to see if that continues on into book three my hope is that it does not i feel like i feel like um the way things have broken down at the end of this book there will be a, the end of the book like i mean if, if we want to actually get into that you know the end of the book is, is this book does this book actually end the after the <laughs> after the epilogue the the last the last few pages of this book how's that by yeah. the by the time that we are at the last page of this book i feel like the the calm has been shattered and yeah and, and we're going to see a I, we're going to see that disappear well and and you know we've we've got a, we've got a lot of new pieces that have been put in place that um that there are lots of ways that there are lots of ways that they can be taken and pushed and and prodded and we've got a we've got a villain in the form of Winzik that has demonstrated himself to be expert at manipulating the situation uh, and manipulating information to position it the way that he wants it. So I think there's I, I think there's very much an, an opportunity that that we can see some really interesting things with this. Um, I'm not sure which direction it's going to go. Um, I, I, I Ryan, I'm kind of with you. I you know we 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 heard this there we we heard this. You're too aggressive. My mind, you're so aggressive, and then they're not aggressive and misinterpreting you know spencer talking about misinterpreting the smile as being an aggressive thing and uh, there's there's and i think that that's a that's a that's a nice theme it's it's kind of a level two theme in some ways it's a level three theme that runs through this that that when we make inappropriate decisions or inappropriate assumptions about people it can throw everything off mm -hmm. um and i and i think it was well handled i think it was I think it was well handled, maybe a little bit longer than I wish it had been. I wish we'd maybe, you know, stop, stop telling that story. However, as fun as it was to hear all of that, it was also really fun to hear at the very end, the last few pages of the book where Spencer says, I watched them coming at me and I knew I was dead, but then I decided I'd charge them. And be very aggressive, and sure enough, they don't know how to respond to me. Yeah, I'm yeah, kind of, I'm, I'm watching that, and I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a that was a plot twist that I uh, that I have to admit I did not see coming until she made it happen. And then I was like, oh my gosh, we got a whole bunch of a whole, a whole bunch of 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 little scaredy cats running around in big bad armor. Um, and she, she utilizes it. He uses it as a, as a device yeah. that allows her to escape and get where she needs to be. So, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad when he shows it to us and then uses it again a little bit later because it has to be a major plot device. Mm -hmm. So it was nicely done. Are there any things that you, uh, we talked a little bit about, um, well, and it looks like we've got uh, a couple of things to chime in from, yeah, from our discord. There are a few uh, insomniacs on discord who have been messaging us. And actually the truth is before I even looked at these, we had discussed quite a quite a few of these already um that's because we are so in tune yes cytonically cytonically yeah with all of them but uh colonel rabbit yes i did uh -huh. that on purpose <laughs> um we touched on this a little bit earlier but um as we get closer to the end of this episode we need to talk about we can't end this episode the way they end this book just cutting off <laughs> really that would have been the best way to end this episode no really just cut the audio right here and say, hey, we'll be back with more 
in the, in the future. <laughs> um, I I'm going to infuriate people here for a minute here awesome. uh, about the ending. Uh, this is not new to Brandon Sanderson. No, not even remotely. No, I am going to draw a comparison to uh, maybe not, maybe not. He's done this in uh, another series of his. Yes. Do you know which one I'm referring to, Todd? I, I know everyone in here is sitting here going, "Oh, well, well." If you if you've read his works, you know which one I'm referring I, to. I I think so. It's. It's the Mistborn. Yes. He pulls something like this in Mistborn, which actually leads me to wonder. Um, I felt in this book, in the first book, Skyward, that you could finish that book, put it down, and be encouraged to pick up anything that came on in the future, but you didn't have to because he completed the story of Detritus. Yes. yes. You can't do that here. Nope. <laughs> there is... If you put there this book is down, no end. Yeah. yeah. So... Knowing that that's something he's done before to a certain extent, the other book, I will say, has a little bit more closure in the arc of, the, of that single book story. But still, but still, you could not stop that. In fact, I remember when we when we got to the end of it and I looked at you and I went, are you kidding me? And I think almost immediately we dove into the into the next book mm-hmm. <laughs> because you can't you, you can't just walk away from it. And and it is a plot device that he's used. Uh, he's used similarly, uh, not exactly, but he's used this similarly in some other places, too. Um, it is it's a plot device that he likes where he says, and then I'm not going to tell you anymore. You have to tune back in next time. It's a Read it's a beautiful find out. It's a beautiful, you know. Will our caped crusaders, you know, I, you remember the old Batman yeah. movie where Batman's oh, yeah. same, bat time, where they, same bat time, same bat And that's that's very much how it felt. Whoop! And then we got it. Oh, okay, that with the tendency though to do that in later books. A lot of authors, a lot of people will do that in every book. They'll throw that cliffhanger to force you into their next book. I don't feel like that is done quite to the same in this book or in in, in his other books. That most of the time he says, "Here's the first story. Do you like it?" There's more, but then once you start with more, it's like no, you gotta go. Sorry, you're yeah. you're, you're on Keep the bus going. now until we get off, till we get all the yes. way there. Yeah. So yeah, and and it feels very much like that is done. Uh, and do you like it? Does it bug you? It frustrates me in this moment in time because I don't have something I can go to to get it. In five years from now, when both when all these books have been out for a little bit. I hope that it's within five years. <laughs> um, when we get to that point, we look back and we can read all of them at once. Yeah, yeah. It's probably something that I'll be like, oh, I just got to go grab the next one. Yeah. But for this moment right now, I'm like, mm, I wish you would have resolved that. I wish you have given me more resolution because we're literally in the middle of something here. Yeah. Rather, nothing got resolved other than... Nope, nothing got resolved. Nothing got resolved. <laughs> nope. Nothing the, got resolved. the Delver is still out there. The human, the 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 conflict between the humans and the superiority is still raging, and is now escalated to the point where like the giant warships have been are at detritus. And Braid has Braid has betrayed her kind, and has demonstrated herself to be fully aligned with Winzik. Kuna is disappeared. We have no idea what her situation is. Cobb is left trying to defend everything and recognizes that one of the key ingredients that he needed was that fancy fighter ship that is now destroyed that is gone now yeah mbot's ai is we need to talk about mbot because people i think we have to talk a little bit we about will, mbot we will. well we also need to we talk about out. doomslug before all we go. of those yes. all of those pieces are laying on the floor and they're nowhere and and they're nowhere close to resol- to any kind of resolution so yeah this one's this one's a pretty well the only thing we do resolve is we get the answer to the question is how do they fly through hyperspace? Slug? Slug. We really don't get the answer though. What we get is that's the device. That's the tool. We still don't know how to use it. Just like, put it in the machine and make it scream. And make it scream. Plot it, prod <laughs> it enough and make it scream. <laughs> Feed it a piece that's of it. mushroom that, that will, you know, cause it to, are they, are they, are they psychotropic mushrooms? Um, that... That maybe make those poor little slugs scream. Um, we're, 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 you guys, 
thinking the same way that Spencer was, that we were going to find a disembodied brain or maybe a person or something like that, that that was what they were using the for the jump engines. The initial inclination was that, oh, they 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 have harvested cytonics. That's what, yeah, 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 yeah. They've got one of those strapped to a chair and they just yeah, they zap them and shield that person. We need another, we need another hyperdrive. Oh, yeah. There's... Which I think we are specifically led to believe that because oh, him yeah. writing it as it, you hear a scream and you're like, oh, people scream. Yeah. This works. Beautifully. Right. And all we know is that people are cytonic. So what some wonderful, some wonderful misdirection by Brandon on that one and making sure I remember when we were at the, the launch party and somebody said, is there more to doom slug? And he said, Rafo. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right, here just we go. Just a little bit more. There's just a little bit more. I actually, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I remember reading the first book and when they go into hyperspace, uh, when she jumps the first time and I remember going, I bet you the slug has something to do with this <laughs> because it's there and it hasn't been there in the past and it's the one new element. So I was like, maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And Uh-oh. I, we finally said something that forced Craig out of his chair. Can I, just a little thing. I, sorry, I'm overplaying video games, but the slug thing, I, this was telegraphed so clearly just by the fact of all the merchandising. It was all about doom slug. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you read the first book, you're like, What? What what is this little? It doesn't matter. It's this little thing that if, thing. some occasionally, people like cute things, Craig. <laughs> Others don't. <laughs> uh, but does that make sense? Like, yeah. it, just by virtue of the marketing, I was like, clearly, this is the key to something, right? Anyway, sorry. Carry on. Baby doom slug, <laughs> and and cute little lanyards and everything else. Yeah, it's it's yeah. um I'm I'm glad we got the resolution that that's the device. I'm still going to be interested to figure out how we use the device. You you just know there's going to be a scene in the next book, early in the next book where Jorgen's just like shoving slugs into places he doesn't know what to do with them. <laughs> wow. Um that's going to be that's going to be entertaining. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to say that. Did you guys catch when Doom Slug corrected her her grammar? I don't remember that. <laughs> yes. When uh, she she comes she uh she flies back in and the housekeepers show up and and uh I, I think it's when the housekeepers show up and Mbot says somebody's here and she says who and or oh, no there, there was a delivery uh, or or something and she said for who and and all of a sudden Doom Slug says whom whom <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, that was funny that was hilarious that was to, that, to my grammar Nazi brain but that was quite that was quite cute Doom Slug is a Doom Slug and Doom Slug and Mbot are well used as comic relief mm-hmm. uh, in in this. Knowing that Brandon uh, had said that he wanted to write a dragon story and that Mbot was basically his dragon. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that and that in some ways, this is, you know, a little bit of, of self-indulgence for him because he gets to finally talk about the kind of dragon that he would, want to have, would have wanted to have had. And he told us that. How to train um, your starship. Knowing that, knowing that that is, that that is where Mbot is, do you do you feel um, frustrated or hopeful at the fact that we're taking do uh, that we're taking uh, such a change in his appearance and all of those kinds of things? Does this feel like this is a an opportunity for metamorphosis for uh, for Mbot, or does this feel like we are just we're gonna we're still gonna see his old spaceship back and we're just gonna get back to the way that things were. What do you think? What are no, your thoughts? I don't, I don't think that his spaceship is coming back. I think he'll end up in something Bigger. Um, com- comparable or superior to, yeah. I mean, I don't think he's going to end up as a drone for the rest of, of this. I was very concerned, not, not from a, Oh, this will make a horrible story. But as, as a reader, I was like, Oh no, don't make this happen. I was very concerned that Imbot was going to become the bad guy mm. because she said, I'll come back for you. And some superiority, one of the figments or something was going to infiltrate Imbot. And now he was going to be, yeah, he was going to be the though. weapon to use against detritus. And I, I was very worried about that as a, somebody who loves Imbot's personality yeah. and everything. So I'm glad that I'm glad that he figured out how to lie so that he could actually, you know, rewrite his code. Yeah. I feel like I, I feel like Mbot's story is pretty clearly mapped, like not in terms of being able to know everything that on our end, but I don't feel like any of this is writing out of a corner or anything yeah, like no, that. Yeah, no, I agree. Right. I agree. Um, and the thing is, Spencer has to leave and go into, I believe you called it the upside down in your setup. I called it the upside down. I was going to call it the never, never. I was, 
It, it's the same. It's the between, same thing. Yeah, between, it's the in between. Yeah. It's and the I think the yeah. only way to be able to allow him to stay with her and be an effective companion is he had to shift into a form that could follow her on a much smaller level. Yeah. Um, I I enjoyed Mbot's arc in this one in the sense of trying to decide if he was alive. Uh, all of a sudden, we have one of those uh, smelling species in the room that Craig just gave birth to. <laughs> Craig's a vapor. <laughs> Cinnamon? Oh, my gosh, I wish. Nope. <laughs> I do think that was one of the things, and I'm so going to have to cut this out of the episode, but I, and when they introduced the vapor thing, I was like, there is no way that that, that species does not hate humans for just ripping around. Like, whoever whoever smelter delta. <laughs> Because <laughs> you know there could be this whole thing and the 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 crew is together like cinnamon is she here? No. Nope. Oh, 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 it was Cobb. I swear. No, it wasn't. Anyway, would have made noise if it had been Cobb. <laughs> anyway, Embot. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh Mormor, it was yeah. vapor. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Mbot becoming a human, not a human. That's kind of where he's heading. Not quite. I'm not sure. Someday I've lost all train. Someday he'll be a real boy. But Mbot's desire to know if he's alive um, is—it's uh, an actually an emotional arc for a machine to have. Um, we yeah. get, we yeah. frequently get it with characters like um, Data, sort of like, "Hey, wanting to be more human." Uh, being alive and being human are not the same thing, and he's not trying to be human. He's not trying to be an organic. He's just trying to realize whether or not he is capable of being more than he originally was written to be. Yeah, being alive. Um, I, I I really I I liked the um, I I liked the references that Brandon does with uh, oh your kind seems to have always been afraid of this, um, especially with the new Terminator film coming out. Um, the uh, Dark Haze or Dark Fate, Dark Fate, Dark Fate, Terminator, Dark Fate. Um, yeah, we we've you know we've and and there are there are lots of less uh, uh, less deadly takes, but just as much uh, fear about what artificial intelligence may or may not mean for us. But I like the way that Brandon takes this not from a nef- to a nefarious level. But to a level where the where Mbot says and asks the question, well, you like me as one, but would you like a thousand of me? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and Spencer turns around and says, well, yeah, I would because you can't. You're my friend. It it would be like having a thousand of my friend. Um, it's a really interesting approach. Maybe a little bit naive because again, we're dealing with a we're dealing with a little bit more of a of a youthful perspective, an optimistic perspective, but one that I kind of share. Um, I'm not quite so afraid of the AI determining that we are impeding all things that are efficient. Uh, I, I think what we're going to find is that AI functions a little bit differently once it finally has evolved to that point. But, you know, we've got enough uh, organic intelligence that is pretty nefarious that we have to deal with. So how much different would it be? You keep your optimism, Todd. I'm still going to say thank you to my Alexa. I'm sure you are. In fact, I'm expecting to sh- see you show up with glasses again one of these days soon, wearing Alexa frame. I'm I'm not letting one of those things in my house. <laughs> so um, any predictions? I think that uh, Alanik is what? Alan, Alanique. Alanique. I think Alanique is going to be instrumental in getting Spencer back from the... In between. From the nowhere. From the nowhere. From the upside down. From the never never. From, you know, whatever you want to call it. Okay. It's, it's called the nowhere. But, um, and I think her race, I, I wonder how much there is in into um, her people actually believing that the humans were oppressors and they were only on the side of the humans because they made us be. I, I, I feel like that's, 
I feel like that's uh, superiority propaganda and that her species will actually be important to um, the human colonies. I'm also very interested in seeing other human colonies. That's got to happen because he Chekhov's gun. I mean, he said there were more than one. It's mm-hmm. we got to see him unify somehow. There are a lot of penal colonies of various size. <laughs> my my penal colony is massive. I'm really not going to touch that one. Um, Ryan, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, my predictions. Um, I don't know what to predict for um, Mbot and Spencer. Honestly, the nowhere. Will they? Won't they? <laughs> I don't really have a lot that's been handed to me that it made me initially think of a whole lot other than she's going to go there, she's going to have to come back, it's going to be hard. Not a That's not a prediction, that's a der. Um, I think, though, that uh, Mbot will have to become something bigger. He'll have to connect something bigger. He may... I don't see him becoming a war machine, but he may run, like, all of the, uh, te- the floating towers, the defensive setups whatever Ooh, yeah. becoming that sort of thing um jorgen will be able to utilize his cytonic abilities and the love that they share between each other will help pull her back over out of the nowhere um uh, their cytonic <sighs> abilities and the love they share yeah uh this will figure yeah and then grand grand will have to sacrifice herself oh oh that's a good one okay okay and I, I'm kind of along the same lines that you are with Embot. I think Embot is going to be. I so I think that going into the nowhere also turns into stand. Wait for it. Wait for it. A time travel opportunity, and the last mess. I know. I know you're mad about it, but you remember the last message that they recorded was of a Delver coming through. And she was in the... And she and was, she was yeah. it. And she shows up and she starts doing something on the computers. I think she shows up. And what she does is she downloads Mbot into the computers to have him become active at a particular point in time in the future because she knows when that's going to be. And, oh, M- and So she becomes the original... She becomes the original Delver that came back and that everybody was thinking that they could worry about, that they could, that they could handle... And that she struggles to keep herself in check, hmm. but installs Doombot. She can't, and, and then winds up sacrificing her life as part of the process. So that Jorgen and Grand Grand are left with being the ones that have to take the people forward. And Spencer winds up being a martyr. That feels very convoluted. Yep. Well, maybe so. But there you go. Okay. All right. That's my prediction. I'm always wrong, so I'm comfortable being wrong on that one. All predictions wrong or your money back. Well, there you go. Um, Starside, huzzah. Again, again, I think we've, um, I I think there are a lot of things in this book that we didn't get a chance to touch on. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that people will find that they can enjoy uh, if they like this, if they like this brand of science fantasy. um, I I think they'd enjoy the book. So there you go. There you go. Um, Ryan, thanks for joining us on this one. I always appreciate being with you guys. Oh, you just say that because it's late at night, I'm sure. Hey, kid, give me your doom slugs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is not how we are going to end this oh, episode. Sorry.